Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor Program. Randy, we're in a uh, series, as we frequently are in a various uh, kinds of series, but we're in a series on words, definitions of words, particularly words that we talk about all the time in the recovery program, the healing journey from addiction. That's exactly right, Mark. And uh, we've been making some great headway in the fact that we have covered uh, some of the most popular of them, you know, words like codependency. In fact, there we had received some requests via email, uh, and I followed, followed that up by actually featuring your discussion about codependency in the Faithful and True April newsletter that goes out later this afternoon. Well, I'm hoping that uh, any and all of the feedback that received about uh, that we received about codependency that people liked it. Well, they they kept with the theme and they liked it very much. Well, that's good because uh, you know I do worry about whether or not people are pleased so. or not. That's right, all exactly. Right. So, and uh, for those new to our show, you have to be familiar with our sense of humor. One of the definitions of codependency is that they are people pleasers. So. Uh, today we're going to move on in our alphabet, and uh, uh, we alluded to this last week, but we're going to start... Oh, by the way, I guess we should say that this list that we're going off of is a kind of glossary of terms that's at the back of the uh, Life Guide for Men. Uh, it's a workbook that I wrote a number of years ago. Published by Life Recovery International. Yes, and thank you for the footnote. And... Uh, these workbooks are used by uh, groups of men that are meeting in local churches uh, to form accountability. So, you know, uh, the workbook is the workbook, but at the end of the workbook, uh, there's a glossary of terms, and we just like it uh, when people are speaking the same language, so to speak. Well, that's what I like about this, is that going back to the original publication date of this workbook, going back that far all the way to current times, the need has always remained for there to be a clear understanding of these recovery terms, and thus we're doing this series. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking to a uh, man this morning, one of my you know regular men that I work with, and uh, he has a really exciting idea. Uh, he's coming up with his own uh, concordance. Uh, concordance is... Uh, basically a list of words that appear in in the Bible, and uh, it will show you chapter and verse where, you know, that that word is used. And there are topical Bibles, there's concordances, there are Bible dictionaries. And what he was saying is that when it comes to recovery terms, it's sometimes hard to take a recovery term, let's say like codependency, and, uh, you know, you can't go to a concordance or a topical Bible and find out any and all scripture that would uh, give us some insight or wisdom about the healing uh, journey concerning codependency. So he's kind of taken it upon himself to take some of the terms, some of the words, and find uh, scriptures that he find that he that he considers relevant to those terms. So I don't know if he's ever going to take it upon himself to self-publish this uh, 
this new recovery concordance, but uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, jazzed about it. I yeah, think it's intrigued a great, by the idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I we, will probably steal it if he doesn't uh, publish it himself. Well, that's the uh, that's <laughs> the greatest form of flattery is you know is to borrow that from him. I think imitation. Okay, but. Well, this, today, by the way, we should get into the show, don't you think? Well, I was just going to remind the listeners that as we wrapped up last week's show, we ended with uh, you describing intimacy. Intimacy, and uh, we don't need to reiterate that, but intimacy is the connection spiritually, emotionally, and physically between um, a couple, and intimacy is the emotional, spiritual connection between uh, uh, friendships and so forth. Um Today, the next term on our list is intimacy disorder. So in other words, what is uh, the problem when uh, we're not capable of uh, having intimacy? Of achieving intimacy, right. That's right. The term intimacy disorder has been around ever since uh, I got involved in the field, which was in 1987, so I'm sure it's even older than that. Uh, And it is one of the diagnostic characteristics of sexual addiction, so... Uh, we, we we have an assumption that that men, and I'm sure for this for that matter, women who are struggling with sexual addiction have an intimacy disorder. They they have a hard time relating on an intimate level with other people. So um, I think it's really helpful to try to understand uh, a little bit, at least on this show, what we mean by an intimacy disorder. I think a lot of times when people uh, think about this term, they think about people who are shut down and withdrawn. Um, they don't reach out, they don't initiate, they don't uh, share about themselves in terms of deeper feelings and uh, uh, thoughts. And I think that that's true, but you don't have to be a shy, withdrawn person to have an intimacy disorder. Yeah, that's. I was going to say, it seems to go much further beyond just being a shy person. That's right. So there can be people who have, you know, a thousand people, a thousand friends, but nobody that knows them well, they can have an intimacy disorder. The key there would be, are you sharing about yourself honestly, openly, in a transparent way? Uh, Do people really know you? Do you really know other people? You know, those would all be signs of healthy intimacy. So intimacy disorder is about the inability to be open, honest, tell the truth, uh, be transparent, be vulnerable, you know, those kinds of things. One of the principles of intimacy disorder that I always thought applied to me for sure was the, that the people that I am the most afraid of losing will be the people that I am least likely to be honest with. Oh, that explains a lot to me. Well, thank you, Randy. <laughs> but what that simply means is that uh, it's sometimes easier for me to give an example. When I when I first went to treatment, the very first night I was there, uh, there was going to be, and there was a group of about 20 other patients that were on the unit at that point. And one by one, they went around the circle and told me a brief history of um, uh, themselves in terms of primarily their sexual acting out. And then I was invited to do the same. Well, you know, these are things that uh, I had never told anyone ever before. And because they had been uh, so completely honest and open and vulnerable, it was uh, it was a little bit easier for me to do the same thing. You got caught up in the honesty of the moment. That's right. And I was able to tell my story. Now, uh, from that point on, you know, in the treatment center, you know, these people became... Uh, you know, very close and very intimate with each other because we were being open and honest and transparent and vulnerable. 
Now, at uh, some point along the way, I think it was about two weeks into my treatment, Debbie came for family week. And I noticed uh, that while, you know, I was uh, basically spilling my guts, you know, all over the place in terms of, you know, talking to my fellow patients, talking to the doctors, talking to the counselors, talking to the nursing staff, you know, I was just being open, honest, vulnerable all over the campus. But then Debbie shows up and I felt myself wanting to withdraw, clam up, and uh, felt a certain anxiety about being honest with her. And uh, what I realized is that there again, I mean, she's the person that I'm the most afraid of losing. Uh, there's a fear and an anxiety that I have if, you know, if she really knew me, and this is a core belief of intimacy disorder, if you really knew me, you would hate me and leave. People who struggle with intimacy disorder just, they do shut down, they do withdraw, they tell lies. If they are engaged in conversation, they're not going to be giving you the whole story. They're really not vulnerable. Uh, and, you know, they're really just not honest. So uh, one of the things I, you know, I, I think uh, the wives need to know particularly is that if your husband is lying to you or just not telling you the truth or not telling you the truth, the whole truth or the whole story and nothing but the truth, it could be because you are the person that he's the most afraid of losing. It's just a way of reframing it a little bit so that you don't take it on as being something unique about you. Uh, that people have a hard time being honest with. Intimacy disorder, you know, has its core beliefs. Uh, if you knew me, you'd hate me and leave me. The person that I uh, love the most would be the person that I have the hardest time being honest with. People with intimacy disorder, therefore, do not initiate conversations about truth and feelings and, you know, those kinds of things. And uh, as a result of that, they can they, they, they really have a hard time saying that they have any close relationships, including uh, with their spouse. Well, if you don't mind telling us and sharing with the audience, how long did it take before you were able to uh, express that same level of intimacy with Debbie that you were uh, experiencing with the other patients? Did I say I'd done that? No, no, I would, but I'm, I'm <laughs> eager to hear. I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, you, you set the table uh, quite beautifully here, and I was just wondering, you know, were you able to conquer that? Well, you know, I think, uh, yes, over time. And w one of the things that uh, I realized in that whole process is that for both Debbie and I to be honest and open and vulnerable and intimate with each other, we had to establish a level of trust with each other that the relationship was secure. That was the, uh, the feeling that I needed to have some sense of security. So, you know, at some point it even got to the place where uh, we we learned that if Debbie, for example, needed to be angry with me about something, uh, she was, of course, working on how to be angry in healthy ways. But, you know, when I heard that she was angry with me, it had the tendency to shut me down because why? I had that core belief that if she's really angry with me, she's going to hate me and leave me. And that would then just kind of shut me down or turn me into a person who was trying to manipulate the conversation. So actually what we did for a period of time is uh, first of all, we both committed that uh, we were uh, in this relationship. We were not thinking about divorce. Uh, it's what Debbie in her book calls closing the door on divorce. But there, there was a period of time where Debbie would say things like, I need to talk with you about how angry I am, and I need you to know this is not about divorce. That allowed me to feel secure enough to engage in that conversation. 
there might have been times when I said, you know, I need to tell you honestly about some things that are going on for me or that I'm feeling. And I also just need to own that, that I'm feeling some anxiety about how you're going to react to this and whether or not this is going to be the final straw that pushes you, you know, right out the door. I think a lot of those early level conversations started with assurances about our level of commitment. Then gradually we get into a place where we, we can both trust each other now and uh, then more intimate conversations flows from that level of trust. It sounds a little bit like the relationships that you were developing by nature with the rest of the people in your group uh, because you were not only on a daily basis sharing the truths of your story, but you were hearing theirs. Right. And and the more transparent and open and honest that everybody is being, you are gaining this sense of confidence that uh, you were not being judged by the others in the group, yeah. as you were probably, I'm not sure, but you were probably not exhibiting judgment against them. Well, yeah, I think that's true. I think one of the things that happens in a support group is that you know everyone in there pretty much has similar stories, and uh, you know who are we to judge each other? That's why I think, by the way, you know, support groups and 12-step groups historically have been so powerful because they do provide safe community. I was just going to say that. Once again, we, we seem to come full circle around to this uh, reoccurring theme of accountability groups. Accountability and, and safe groups. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah just the power of, of an accountability group is such a good thing. Well, we're going to take our break right now, and when we come back, we'll have time for one more uh, term to discuss this week. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. 
Trigger of the week. You know, Randy, one of the things that impresses me is our crack research department here. And uh, we um, do a lot of time and a lot of um, uh, polling, uh, do we not, of our... <laughs> And we know how painful that could be. Yes. Well, I'm. I'm again kidding. That, that's uh, an old Letterman joke, by the way. You know, Letterman is yeah. in his uh, in his final uh, walk down memory lane as right. he is uh, soon to be leaving his post. Uh, and uh, that was <laughs> that was a uh, an old David Letterman joke about being pulled. Okay, sorry about that. Well, you know, you're talking about the top ten list and all that kind of stuff. Right. Exactly. But uh, all right. So on the way into the studio um, this afternoon. Uh, I happened to run across one of the couples who's been working here, and so I took a poll, a very you know large poll, obviously, one couple, and I just asked the husband and the wife, I said, we need a trigger of the week for the radio show, do you think of anything? Well, the husband said, uh, we just got back from uh, spring break vacation in Kabul, do I need to say anything more? And I said, well, you know, we've kind of covered uh, spring break and beaches and swimsuits and bikinis and you know, all that kind of stuff. And then the wife said, I have one. And uh, so <laughs> I said, okay. And she said, interrupting. I get triggered all the time when he interrupts me. I'm trying to tell him something, uh, be intimate, and he interrupts me. And that's a huge trigger for me. It takes me into many emotional places. So trigger of the week is interrupting. And once again, our trigger has come to us quite appropriately by one of the spouses. By one of the spouses. And I think we're getting to a point where we're recognizing that triggers are, you know, so universal. I mean, everybody gets triggered from time to time about a variety of things. And a lot of times it's uh, just stuff that uh, whatever it is that takes you into a, uh, an emotional place that well, is not very, um, very fun and perhaps very painful. We certainly appreciate their contribution to today's show. Thank you to them and only they know who they are. That's right. So let's return to the show because we have time for you to uh, give us the definition of one more term that's used in recovery. Yeah, the term that's next on the list is medicating. Uh, we use it all the time. Uh, we say I did this or that uh, to medicate uh, my feelings. We recognize that uh, those people that are addicted to substances, they for sure know that if they do alcohol or heroin or crack or meth or cocaine or nicotine, uh, they are medicating because those substances have the ability to raise or lower a mood. One of the things that's uh, something we've talked about before on the show is the, does a behavior have the same ability to create uh, a neurochemical response in the brain such that that can have a medicating quality on the brain? And we've, I think, established, and we've even had Dr. Daniel Amen on the show and other experts to say that, yes, you know, when we think about sex, when we are engaged in sex, it does have a neurochemical response in the brain. So, the term medicating is just thrown around all the time. And one of the things we, we, we all have to accept is that, you know, on a daily basis, we probably do a variety of things uh, to medicate ourselves. And one of the oldest exercises, and sometimes particularly because we know we have support groups listening to the show, that uh, we, uh, we need to hand out assignments. So here's an assignment. From the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, what have you uh, done or what have you ingested to either raise or lower your mood? So think about it for yourself, Randy. Well, that's that's an interesting point because it can be as it can be as innocent as 
that first cup of coffee in the morning. That's right. You know, and just kind of trying to jumpstart your system and being, right. you know, being at the top of your game right away. Well, that's right. And that might not be totally inappropriate. No, no. It it, uh, it seems to be, uh, with the popularity of the uh, caribou and Starbucks in the, of the world, yeah. uh, you know, it seems to be a, a fairly popular way of people jumpstarting their days. Yeah, and uh, Debbie and I were just listening to a tape by one of the uh, major financial writers in our country, David Bach, and he's the one that coined the term latte factor, that if we, uh, if we save the money every day that we spend on lattes or frivolous things that we don't really need, we could wind up being millionaires. Uh, what he fails to mention is that that is not, he doesn't fail to mention it, but you know, I think we all need to you know, realize that if you start at age 21 saving the $5 a day that you're going to spend on a latte, uh, then you may wind up a millionaire, you know, in in fifty years. But whatever, um, coffee is one thing. Uh, do I do I dare mention Diet Coke? Oh sure, I think it's in the same category, probably just in, in a different form of uh, of caffeine, more than likely. Well, you know, we could put sugar on the list too, so you could be drinking regular Coke. But uh, I didn't want to step on your toes with the Diet Coke reference. That's all I was saying. Well, I'm. I'm a I'm a minor user compared to my wife. I, when we go into a restaurant, I usually try to warn the waiter or waitress who's helping us at our table by saying, you know, she has a drinking problem. Yes. You know, and just keep the Diet Coke keep coming. Keep the Diet Coke, Coke coming. coming and, yeah. ev- and everything will be fine. Everything will be all right. The moods will be good and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I can keep her under control. Well, I think uh, the more challenging part of this medicating thing is, you know, it's easy uh, to recognize substances smoking, uh, you know, nicotine, in other words, and so forth. But I think it's harder uh, when we get into uh, the ways we medicate through behaviors. Uh, One of the main ones I think about, for example, is watching television where we can kind of zone out or vegetate or, in, in a way, attempt to take our mood down. So we come home from a stressful day and, uh, we sit down in front of the TV, and the next thing we know, it's two to three hours later, and we can't even remember what we were just watching. That's just one example. People uh, uh, medicate sometimes just by uh, the use of technology. I, uh, I think that uh, the smartphones, the, the, the uh, iPads, iPads you know, the, the personal computers and you know, all of that kind of stuff— I think you know we're we're living in a culture that has gotten so incredibly uh, neurochemically tolerant to the adrenaline of the things that some of these devices provide uh, that we can there again spend hours on these things and not even know that uh, uh, we've done it. So uh, we could give lots of examples, but the term medicating is any substance or behavior you use to raise or lower your mood, and sometimes that can be an okay thing. If we do it chronically, habitually, compulsively, destructively, then we might, uh, in fact, be talking about an addiction. So medicating is not always a negative thing. No, absolutely. I mean, I take medications every day, as I'm sure a lot of people do. I take insulin. I take some other medications uh, because of um, being a diabetic. And those medications are keeping me alive. So the term medication is not inherently evil. Alcohol is not inherently evil. Heroin even has its medicinal uses. So does marijuana, as we now know. And, um, you know, these things are not uh, uh, black and white uh, 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 evils. Uh, I, th- I think the key to this medicating 
stuff when it becomes a problem is, are we using it to change a feeling that we're trying to avoid? Yeah, it sounds like escaping. Escaping a feeling. Rather than embracing the feeling, talking about it, getting support, dealing with it in a healthy and constructive way. Addressing the issue. Addressing the deeper issue, for sure. Right, Yeah. Well, with these two words uh, that we have covered here today, in summation, uh, how would you wrap it up? Well, I do think that spiritually, uh, when we think about intimacy disorder, I think we uh, are talking about uh, developing a sense of safety and trust. And where should we turn in order to develop a sense of safety and trust? Well, that is our spiritual journey as we get closer to God. So that's one thing for you know all of us to think about. The second term we talked about today is I do think that uh, the, the way to the healing journey and path is to embrace our emotions, to embrace our feelings, to not just automatically think about medicating them, because that is, in fact, the path to spiritual and emotional growth. So as we so oftentimes talk about here, it all kind of goes back to uh, spiritual growth and being the man or woman God calls you to be. That's what I like very much about this current series, Mark, is the fact that we're not just academically going through and uh, defining some of these key terms, but there's a story behind each one of these, and there's a practical application to the life of anyone in recovery. So we, uh, we thank you for joining us today. You have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. My name is Randy Everett, and I'm uh, pleased to be your co-host. We hope that this current series is of benefit to you and that you're enjoying these shows. And we invite you to uh, drop us a, uh, an email at info at faithfulandtrue.com if you've got any comments or uh, suggestions for the show or any triggers of the week that you'd like to recommend. Uh, we appreciate any input from our listeners. Until next week, we thank you for joining us on the Men of Valor program. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.